1: Ego and check me. <laughs> yeah, it's a date. <laughs> it's a day. Come take my
0: hand. You should know me. I've always been. Hi there, I'm Peter Ayers and welcome to The Stages Podcast. My guest today is DJ Dan Murphy. He is not the country singer or the liquor shop. He is the master of the dance floor, a DJ who has been spinning discs on the desks at nightclubs and dance parties around Australia and the world for over two decades. He is the producer and designer of a range of entertainments too, which have all delighted and thrilled with their cheeky humour and terrific respect for the art form. These include a series of Ignite concerts that delivered classic dance tunes via the magnificence of a symphony orchestra and designing the soundtrack for the New Year fireworks spectacular on Sydney Harbour or his online appearances during lockdown that kept a necessary smile on all of our faces. DJ Dan and I had planned this chat about two years ago but then the pandemic intervened. He discusses the impact of that on his world as well as his origins as a classical musician and his evolution as an accomplished and in-demand DJ. Having found my groove at a series of Dan's performances and parties, it was a treat to finally sit down with the man. Here's my chat with DJ Dan Murphy. People
1: in rehearsal and can't get away, so we can do it like that. Yeah,
0: but of course, it's much better in person because you've got that rapport. Yeah. It's nice to be in the room. The room where it happened. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, a Um, So you're obviously um, a fan of musicals. Yes, love musicals. I grew up on them. Uh, the first musical, the closest thing to a musical I think I saw and became obsessed with was The Blues Brothers. And then... That went on to Little Shop of Horrors and Rocky Horror Picture Show and then into the classics. They're all the movie musicals. What about stage musicals? The first stage musical was, I think, my mum took me to see Rocky Horror. I was in primary school and I remember having trouble staying awake for it. It, And I remember thinking this is a really adult show. Well, I remember seeing Rocky Horror
0: 17, I think, and being shocked as to the content. So... (laughs) God what it did to a primary
1: student. It was... I don't even remember where it was. I'll have to ask her. But I was young. I was definitely under 10. And I loved it. I remember loving it. I'm being confused, but loving it.
0: Because of the sexual content or the colour and movement?
1: <laughs> just... The, it was unlike anything I'd ever seen or heard before. The story was... It's a weird story. Yeah. Yeah. And the, I don't remember the sexual content. I just remember it being adult and things going over my head. Mm. Certainly no yeah. nuns or Nazis or, no. or, or children. <laughs> no. <laughs> so uh, is it Daniel originally? Is yeah. it you Born Daniel? Yes, yeah. I was. Yeah. And uh, when I moved to London, everybody kept calling me Dan and, yeah, it just stuck. So
0: it wasn't a choice of yours, it was thrust upon you.
1: Yeah, it was kind of... Um, I don't know. This was the early 2000s. I'd just finished uni. And I, all through uni, I was Daniel to everybody. And then, yeah, just in London, it was... Uh, uh, you know how Aussies have a way of... Uh, shortening names. Shortening or, names, yeah. And calling the, you, if you're Smith, you'll be Smithy. Smithy
0: or, which is what they it mm. drives me mad. They do it to all the newsreaders and yeah. TV hosts now. <laughs> yes. You know,
1: back to you, Koshi. I know. But, but even the Prime Minister... Mm. But you he know. made up his own nickname. Right. That's embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. ScoMo, come on. Dear, dear, dear. How embarrassing. I imagine your mum still calls you Daniel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, my family and a few friends do as well. But um, I don't mind. I'll answer to anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Phyllis, here we go.
0: <laughs> well, Dan, we've had this, um, this date in our sights for a couple of years. Tell me about your COVID experience.
1: Yeah, I guess uh, when it first hit, it was pretty traumatic because my mm, my first impression of COVID was that it was going to last two weeks, maybe a month, and we'll be shut down for a little while and then back. And the date just kept being pushed back further and further and further. Um, I had a lot of events planned during the time. So I had to, not only did I not have the money going in, but I had all these refunds going out. The job keeper was that the first one I the so, government yeah. put through? That hadn't kicked in yet. Yeah, it took a while to happen, didn't it? Yeah. compensation. of compensation. Or just support. that uncertainty was horrible, thinking, oh my God, how long is this going to last? And um, yeah, so it was pretty grim. And... I came back from Japan, so I had two weeks isolation in my apartment as well. And that was not a great way to, (laughs) with everything else going on and also be isolated and mostly spending the time in my room because I had a flatmate was really grim. you're a very
0: gregarious person. You're very social. I mean, your work is about mixing with people all the time.
1: I guess being by yourself is a difficult proposition. Yeah. It's, I don't mind being by myself. I love my alone time and that's when I recharge and I do my music and read and uh, Marilyn Monroe
0: said that when she's alone, she restores herself. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Very,
1: True. Very Marilyn, except um, different colored hair. I think that's probably <laughs> the only difference between us, but yeah, so very that and so I'm happy to be alone and I can entertain myself. There's like, I don't get bored. But the feeling was, uh, I just kept waking up every day thinking, is today the day I wake up with COVID? Am I going to give it to my flatmate? They kept saying on the news, it's all coming in from international travel travellers. So just having that dread. Then when I was allowed out, everybody in, I lived in Surrey Hills at the time, and everybody was going about their business. And I was, I felt like I was... Mm, uh, germ-free, I think is the best way to put it. Mm. And I, people were coming near me and I was crossing the street and it was horrible. It was a really strange feeling.
0: You'd done your time in isolation and I thought, well, that's it. I'm immune now, but... Uh, yeah. We were to learn yeah. much more, weren't we? Mm. And also and then, the impact on people's mental health as well has been uh, horrific. Uh,
1: yeah, it's been... For... For myself, it was beforehand I was so busy and so distracted and having a great time working and enjoying myself. But, yeah, to slow down and stop and then be with your own thoughts and kind of assess your life and where you're going and what you're doing and thinking, oh, okay, well, I really like these things. so I want to do more of that. And why have I been doing those things? Oh, I don't like that. I don't want that in my life anymore. So kind of... Putting the pause on to go, oh, okay, let's, when things start up again, let's veer this way.
0: Yes, I think if there was a positive. It was that enforced time to, to think about exactly what you've talked about, a reflection mm. on your own life and, and what you want to do with it. I, I've always said COVID is, uh, seems to be a chance for the world to reset itself. Mm-hmm. And sort of, how can we move forward to leave yeah. the world to the next generations?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah,
0: you managed it, to create some, as, as everybody seemed to be doing, moving online and creating content for for that. So, you know, with your RuPaul reviews
1: with Minnie Cooper
0: and um, your live DJing and
1: uh... yeah, Minnie and I did um, some RuPaul recaps and uh, Penny and I or Daniel Floyd and I did the lunchtime lockdown where we interviewed people and. Uh, uh, it was really fun. It was hard. Uh, Daniel slash Penny and I used to joke about it and say, oh, it gives us a reason to get up in the morning and actually have a shower before lunch because yeah, um, yeah. our show was at lunchtime. If we didn't do the show, I'd get to the afternoon and think, oh, God, I've been slobbing around the house. It's five o'clock and I still haven't had a shower. And, yeah, it was nice to have that routine and and be clean, hygienic. <laughs> <laughs> So, tell me about, let's
0: move on from COVID because Mm -hmm. it it tends to be a a bummer of a subject. Yeah. Tell me about the feature film that you're writing.
1: Yeah. So, I studied film and TV at uni and uh, moved into DJing after uni and have been doing that for about 15, 20 years and during lockdown, sorry to go back to COVID again, a friend of mine was made redundant. So we'd have movie days and we'd catch up and watch these movies. Um, we both love horror movies and we'd be watching them and sometimes they'd be terrible, but we could tell they had big budgets and we'd uh, it's my friend Lisa and I and I would look them up on Wikipedia or Box Office Mojo and see how much the budget was and see how much it brought in. And Look, we'd had a couple of wines one day, and we were watching a particularly bad Australian one, and we're saying, God, if they can make these terrible movies, surely we can make one as well. Not terrible, but like, watchable. Um, Keep it under budget. Use all our friends and um, people we know, and just make something really fun and funny. So, yeah, we're going to make a comedy horror film set in the Oxford Street nightclubs, and it's called No Dice, Killer Club. And it's uh, a ragtag bunch of clubbers and drag queens trapped in a nightclub being killed off one by one. <laughs> da da, da, da. <laughs> uh, Will it be... Um, have a contemporary
0: time frame? Or are you looking to sort of go back to the 80s, 90s period when there were so many clubs on the, on the Golden Mile of Oxford Street?
1: Yeah, it's set now, but there will be flashbacks Because the casts that I want to use are great at doing 80s and 90s looks. Um, So I definitely want to have it set contemporarily. But flashback to uh, moments in their past that may cast doubt on whether they're the killer or not. So it's kind of a a whodunit. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Now, you're a Brisbane boy. Yes. Yes. Was it?
0: A good, good uh, childhood growing up in Brisbane. Sunshine, uh, surf and sand.
1: Yeah, well, primary school was the Sunshine Coast right. and grew up on the beach. Absolutely loved it. High school was boarding school in Armidale in northern New South Wales, which was the opposite. Absolutely dreadful. And then university was Brisbane. So Brisbane kind of feels like home home, if that makes us... They're all very different experiences uh, with your education,
0: those three tiers. Mm, Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah. Did you enjoy boarding school? No. It was dreadful. Uh, A city kid in a country school, like real fish out of water. I was always the odd one out anyway. And then to kind of realise you're gay amongst that crowd, like amongst an all boys rough boarding school. Yeah. It was was it bullying? Grim. Yeah, Yeah. a lot. I think we all copped that, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. For being different. Mm. It's nothing anymore, is it, your sexuality? It's changed so much in such a relatively short time as well.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, So what sort of kid were you? A class clown or an introvert? Uh, A rowdy. Definitely wanted the attention. Was that a comment on your reports? um, Yeah, and... uh, a comment that I remember from one particular one is uh, Dan should spend more time concentrating on his books than entertaining his classmates, and so that's you, kind of how I live my life. You're a born showman. <laughs> yeah. Continues today. Yeah. Uh, what's your favourite sound? Favourite sound is um, oh gosh, the first thing that's popping to mind is an orchestra, a big, lush, loud orchestra. Big strings, big romantic. It's true. Even the, the sound of an orchestra warming up, mm. I think,
0: is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That anticipation. You, of course, have a background in classical music. You, mm-hmm. you studied pipe organ, and piano at the Queensland Conservatorium of Music.
1: Do you still play? I have a keyboard at home, a synthesizer, um, and I've dabbled. It's really funny. During COVID, I thought oh, I'm going to have all this time to practice and relearn some of these old pieces that I used to love and kind of dipped my toe into it, but it didn't as much as I would have liked. But um, a pipe organ, I haven't touched one of those for decades, it would be. Pipe organ, that is. <laughs> Not an organ.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so career aspirations, you know, you, you said you studied... Um, Better of screen production at, at uni and also mm-hmm. some the, the, the classical music. What were your career aspirations as a kid? What what did you think you might
1: be when you when you grow up? Yeah, well, you know when um, I don't want to sound wanky, but you know when you're good at something at school, you just keep doing it because you've gotten better at it. Uh, for some people, it might be swimming or sport, or uh, for me, it was music, and I was. Um, good at the organ and good at the piano, and it was just assumed I would go to the conservatorium after um, school. And I thought I was going to be a concert organist or pianist. Um, And once I did my first six months of the con, my organ teacher and I did not gel at all. And I like big, loud church-rattling organ music. All the stops pulled out, just massive. Um, And we went back to... Oh, I can't remember the time period before Baroque, but it was really plinky-plonky technical music. And I hated it. Mm -hmm. Hated him. And I realised at the time... All the church, all the organs are in churches, and I'm not religious. I yeah. don't go to church. My only gigs are going to be weddings, funerals, and um, church services. And I thought, I don't want to do that. Yeah. I like movies, and mm. so I wanted to be a movie composer, and then I wanted to be a film director. I think the yeah. the attraction
0: with an organ is the the gothic nature. I think mm. that, that that sound. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you could just. Compose scores for horror films. <laughs> yeah, Dracula <laughs> would be would be great. Do you have a record collection when you were a kid?
1: I had a few cassettes. Um, the I was grew up in the eighties, and we were just past the actual vinyl stage and had moved on to cassettes. But um, the didn't have much spare cash for many cassettes. I think I had. Uh, I don't know if you remember, they used to be in those plastic sort of um, file systems. They used to have... It's kind of the size of a shoebox or the length of a shoebox. To put
0: your cassettes in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. The, yes, they had the, the mould that you could just... Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then zip up the bag and take it
1: anywhere. Yes, yeah. So I had a couple of those. That was the extent of my record collection. Right.
0: I, yeah, I,
1: cassette collection. Cassette collection.
0: Yeah. Yes, uh, poor younger generation, I... um. They don't know what they're missing out on, working no. with a, a cassette.
1: No, and taping songs off the radio. Was well, that great? Right? Yes, where... you'd
0: be home doing your homework and listening to the top 40 and, mm-hmm. right, I'm going to tape the top 10 tonight. And yeah. the bloody DJ would always come in and speak at the end.
1: And the beginning as well. Yeah. Right. So you couldn't
0: get a complete song. Yeah. They must have been told to do that.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I remember used to. I used to listen to B105 Hot 30 with... Stewie and Zoe. Oh, my God. I haven't thought about them for decades That's as Brisbane, well. obviously. Yeah. yeah. And I used to... Because there was nothing else to do back then. The internet wasn't around.
0: No streaming.
1: No. No um,
0: mobile phones. No. And if you did want to call a mate or somebody that you're keen on, mm-hmm. you'd have to call them, hope their
1: parents didn't answer, mm-hmm. and then you would talk for like three, four, five hours. Yeah. <laughs> Just chit-chat, (laughs) chit-chat. And you needed the phone with the really long extension cord so you could take it into your room as well. Privacy. So when did you move to Sydney? Um, I moved down here in 2003. I came to Mardi Gras that year, loved it, and moved down a couple of months afterwards.
0: Great time to be in
1: Sydney. Yeah, it was really good. Mm. Everything was alive. Although... At the time, everybody kept saying to me, oh, it was much better five years ago. Oh, Sydney used to be alive then. But to me, it was magical. Because, because it was just on the tail of the Olympics, of course.
0: Mm-hmm. The Gay Games were 2004? Uh, 2002, two? six two. months before I moved. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so you just missed out on all that. Yeah. That was an extraordinary, fabulous, so I hear. decadent time. Yeah, no, it was yeah. cool. How come? I just think... Um, everybody was was sailing high on the success of the Olympics Mm -hmm. and it was a world event that was coming to Sydney. So you literally had um, uh, the the queer and gay community from all around the world coming to to compete with those games, which were a lot of fun. Some were taken very seriously, others were not. Mm -hmm. But the parties and social aspect that that went on around town for that two weeks, I think it was, was, Mm -hmm. was just terrific. Everyone was so friendly and... Which was exactly the same with the, uh, the Olympics in 2000. Everything mm-hmm. ran like clockwork, public transport, and uh, the weather was gorgeous for, the, for that two weeks. And um, oh. just everyone lived in harmony. It was great. Yeah. I think, I think the world was a fabulous place up until September 11, 2001.
1: It changed things. And it's things. just been fucked for the last 20 years. Mm. Uh, yeah, really. It's changed so many aspects of our lives. Even from the logistical side of things putting on events now it's so difficult but beforehand there were parties at pools there were parties on rooftops parks yeah. all over the place well yeah one of yeah. the big events at Mardi Gras
0: every year was the the pool party mm-hmm. that they had at uh, Victoria Park I think it was mm-hmm. which was a terrific night but let's look on by the wayside and yeah but nothing's forever I guess things need to evolve and change and be reinvented
1: yeah hopefully it can we've got world pride next year 12 months away so hopefully that can bring back some of that spirit Lift with the, the gay spirits again yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: So, so did you move to sydney with the intent of being a dj
1: yeah i i lived in london on my working holiday gap year i guess you could call it for two years so that was post uni or? uh yeah, yeah post yeah. uni um Worked in Heaven Nightclub while I was there in the merch shop and it was right on the main dance floor and I got to hear all these incredible, incredible DJs that at the time it didn't impress me. It's not until later when I started telling people who I was listening to and once I learned about the dance music world that I went, oh my God, I was listening to the top 10 DJs in the world, not just in London. Was it difficult Um, to get a gig as the, the sales boy at Heaven? It was, uh, the first night I went there, I went by myself and I just wanted to work there. I needed a job. So I went to the bar. I I went to the office who sent me to the bar, who sent me to the cloakroom, who sent me to the t-shirt shop. And, um, they said, yes, they needed somebody. I had a trial and, um, I think I had a trial the next night and then, yeah, started after that.
0: That's the the gorgeous, the wonderful beauty of being young, I guess. You Mm. you can work late hours and don't mind the loud music.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I didn't mind the loud music the first night that I worked, though. I had to stay up past... It was an early shut for a nightclub, like maybe four or five. But I got to about 3am and I was struggling and I was having Red Bulls and I didn't drink coffee at the time and it was, yeah, I had to really train myself to be able to stay up late and not be tired. So did you work there for the two years that you were in London? Yeah. The entire time? Yeah, the whole time. And that obviously seduced you into
0: the art craft of of being a DJ. Yeah.
1: Yeah. My, uh, I just loved it. There was a friend who worked on the bar who DJed. He was friends with somebody else who I became flatmates with and this guy had decks in his house and they both taught me to DJ Um, and I was just hearing all this amazing music in London and I came back to Sydney and thought, right, I'm going to play all this music that I heard over there and just be, in inverted commas, the best DJ.
0: Obviously, you get to um, do a gig in London. Or that was only your schooling there?
1: It was my schooling. I did one gig. I have a feeling I did two, but I can't remember the second gig. But I did do one gig. Where was that? Um, It was at this venue, which was out of town. It wasn't in Zone 1. So uh, it was literally me and somebody else DJing. There were more staff than patrons. It was this (laughs) massive room that held about 300 people. And there were the two drag queens that put it on and four of my friends. But I was still so nervous. I was still so scared. Had you, uh,
0: in your going to uni or even in, in your younger than that, did you attend Blue Light discos or had you been to any clubs around Brisbane?
1: No, I'd heard about blue light discos. I'd only done one school dance in high school
0: with the DJ Uh, box with the coloured lights that would flash. I don't even remember remember the the DJ.
1: I just remember standing on the dance floor and thinking, I don't know how to dance, and then watching people and realising that you can do the two step: left foot in, left foot out, right foot in, right foot out. I did that all night and then jumped up and down. We were jumping like star jumps for some reason. (laughs) I don't remember the DJ. I just remember the music and the lights and thinking it was great. But, yeah, don't know if it was a man or a woman or uh, who it was. So you arrive in Sydney. How
0: How do you you go about introducing yourself, finding a hopefully a weekly gig on the scene?
1: Yeah, I was... um, uh, using pester power, I guess is the best way to put it. Well, it's
0: the, the squeaky wheel gets oiled, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, I was out every night um, introducing myself to the DJs, to the uh, bar managers, and.
0: Who were the high profile DJs on the scene at that time?
1: At that time, we had Alex Taylor, Kate Monroe. I used to chase, my friends and I used to chase Kate Monroe around the city um, and around all the clubs. We just loved her music, and Alex. Uh, Jake Kilby, Greg Balladian, Sean Manley um, Luke Leal um, gosh I'm sure there are more but they're the ones that I can think of now yeah So um,
0: do you hopefully um, get an apprenticeship can you with, with one of those DJs or how do you how do you prove yourself that that you'd be worth employing?
1: Yeah it wasn't it, you know how drag you have, a lot of drag queens have a drag daughter. Yeah. And DJs have that as well, right. DJ uh, kids. But I, for some reason, it didn't cross my mind to ask one of the experienced DJs to teach me. Right. Or um, even, because uh, I was pretty rough when I started. Mixing was really hard. It took me a long time to get the hang of it. And the, it didn't cross my mind to say to someone what am I doing wrong? How can I make this easier? I just kept trying and trying and trying. But um, for me, rather than going to the DJs, it was the managers, the people who booked them. And I'd make up demo CDs and send them out. And every time I had a new one, I'd send that one out as well. And yeah, just until they said yes. So where? how are you making your music? Where are you getting the... Um...
0: The various tracks from that you then mix into uh, your own sample.
1: Yeah, in the beginning of the early two thousands, um, there was a service called LimeWire where you could download things illegally. Yeah. Um, but there was a website called Masterbeat which had a lot of gay circuit music on it and remixes. And um, iTunes, there was there seemed to be more selection on iTunes back then for remixes. Um. And another site, a few websites, um, so I would download them from there and then I'd put my mix together, my demo mix together in software on my computer. And then you could only make it an hour and 19 minutes long maximum because that's all that could fit on a CD and
0: oh, right, of yeah. Course. Yeah, yeah. So what about the first gig that you, where was the first regular booking
1: that you scored? Mm. I scored a gig at ARC, that's my first gig, and I played downstairs on a Monday morning.
0: ARC would have been relatively young then, wouldn't
1: it? Yeah, Long, but... 2003, it would have been four or five yeah. years old. Okay. Yeah, and it was the place to go. It was, it and was. it was open 24 hours. And
0: Did you ever run into that revolving door? That was one of my favourite sports going Uh and watching people try and get in and out of that revolving door.
1: (laughs) And getting confused as well. And there are just on either side of the revolving door are panes of glass and Mm. people would think, I'm going to avoid that revolving door and smack into the glass as well.
0: (laughs) Karma, we've got to be careful. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Um, um,
1: so how long does it
0: take before Dan Murphy is, is noticed? And, and, you know, there are people
1: chasing you around town. Um, Gosh, it was... I moved up the ranks pretty quickly, actually. I was super ambitious, super pushy. And um, also, even in the early days, we... I don't know if you remember Manical, which was across oh, yeah. the road from Ark. Yeah, 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 absolutely.
0: Um, we could get a handful of peanuts.
1: Yes, yeah. <laughs> the,
0: the floor was covered in peanut shells. Yeah. You probably couldn't do that now because of people with anaphylactic
1: yeah. responses. Too dangerous.
0: But no, that Manical was a great bar.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, we started up... Uh, my friend who taught me to DJ Luke Fry in London, he came to live in Australia for a year. And he and my flatmate... Uh, Eric and I all started up this day club on a Saturday morning. We convinced the Manacle guys day clubs are the way to go. They're all the rage in London. You've got to do it. And yeah, we just we just kept hustling. We'd, we're trying to make our own gigs if gigs didn't exist. And then um, after a few months, Manacle was the place to be for day clubs. And they had them Monday, Sunday, Monday... Saturday. That must have been one of the first day clubs, was it, in Sydney? There were, before my time, there was one called, and I might get this wrong, I think it was called the Black Market right. over near Central Station, kind of around the side there. Um, I think that was a day club. And then the Beresford in the 90s was a day club as well. Yeah. The old Beresford.
0: Hugely popular because, mm. you know, at the end of the night dancing, people still want to rage on. So, yeah. Yeah, day club. And some people would set their alarm and get up just to go to day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, your your ambition is certainly there and you're thinking outside the square about uh, creating your own work, which which is vital, isn't it?
1: Mm. Yeah, I think that's the thing. And you see it with... um, I think a a really noticeable way to see it now is with the RuPaul drag queens. There Mm. are some who use that platform and hustle and hustle and hustle and make their own career and make their own work afterwards, Um, and others who don't. And I think that's the same with um, not just DJing and drag, but any industry. You've got to... You can't wait for someone to give it to you. You've got to make it happen. I
0: watched you uh, on social media go through a bit of a phase where you were on TikTok lip-syncing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Would you like to have been a drag queen? Oh! Have you thought about
1: that? I... Love drag. I've done it a handful of times. Um, It's it's really hard work and uncomfortable. Mm. So I love dipping my toe into it for a special occasion or a party, but um, that's not where my career aspirations lie. We're
0: going to go. Yeah, yeah. What about you know you, you you get those regular gigs at clubs around Sydney? I guess one of the big goals for a lot of DJs is to play the Mardi Gras party. Mm-hmm. You know, those big dance parties, and you've done that, and you've you've done it also at parties around the world. How long did it take to you before you got a gig at Mardi Gras
1: in that, that main room? The main room was... Um, I started at ARC in 2003, won the DJ spin-off in 2004, so about six months later, did my first Mardi Gras party in the side... Um, it was a tent that was set up behind the horden yep. and behind the Dome. And then I think I may have done sleaze ball first in the RHI. And I think that was either 2004 or 2005. Hmm.
0: Yeah. You had a, a close encounter with Miss Minogue at one of those nights, didn't
1: you? Yes. Yeah. The, that was... Mardi Gras. Oh, I always forget the year. I want to say 2012.
0: Oh, look, they all uh, blend into one. <laughs> you, know, you can go every year for for 20 years, and you it's still yeah, yeah. It's just one big night.
1: Oh, but it was incredible. I I think Kitty Glitter was on right before me, so she'd hyped up the crowd. Um, I played. It was the first time they had these big LED screens that kind of went up and down, and it was really great production that was the first time that I walked on stage and everyone is just staring at the stage because they're all waiting for Kylie mm. and previously the the DJ box had been at the other end of the RHI and the stage at that end but this one was right on the stage and I walked out and Kitty and I had a quick chat between our sets um, and it's nerve-wracking walking out to ten thousand people just looking at you. And not being a singer or a performer. You're you're just kind of standing there dancing and pressing play, so it's like oh, what can I give them? What kind of show? Um So that was kind of a trial by fire, I would say. And yeah, I just I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And Finished, played Million Dollar Bill, Freemasons Remix by Whitney Houston as my last song. Um, The LED screens came down, if I remember correctly, they came down right in front of me. And I remember thinking, oh, all done. And I turned around and there's this woman dressed like Kylie Minogue. But her hair was all frizzy and she had this kind of headdress on. And I'm staring at her thinking, "Ah, maybe that's one of the backup dancers and they're going to do like kylie through the ages and she's 80s kylie and maybe there'll be a 90s and a 2000 this is all going on in my head taking about 20 seconds while i'm just staring at her and then i realized oh that's actually kylie that's not a backup dancer (laughs) i went oh oh hi and she just kind of dipped her shoulder at me and goes cool tunes." I went. Oh, oh, thanks. <laughs> have fun. <laughs> then they were like, "Get off stage." Oh, okay. <laughs> so embarrassing. Not embarrassing. embarrassing. How wonderful! How wonderful! <laughs> yeah,
0: DJing always fascinates me. It's it's a real science, isn't it? How how do you? It's a real science in that you have to read the room. What do people want at any particular hour of the night? You're a magician. You you've got to be a mind reader. Or is it easier than what I'm what I'm assuming?
1: Um, it's the actual technique of it is simple. You could learn that in an afternoon of how to mix songs together and use the machines. That side of it is simple, but perfecting it is hard. That takes a while, and reading the room is the the main thing. And I always describe it as being like a stand-up comedian. Say you've got your our set of jokes you test out the waters with your first few jokes and go uh like you'll test out a dirty joke and if they laugh at that then you go oh, okay i'll do the dirty stuff so yeah. yeah or you te- test out a clever joke and then think oh the set is going to go in this direction besides like and
0: surfing waves
1: as well isn't it mm-hmm.
0: on the dance floor you know there are moments when every, it is heaving it's going off mm-hmm. and then it's it quietens down for a little bit and...
1: yeah and it's there, when I first started out, my tendency was just to go banger, 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 like one after the other. Um, but it's nice to have a little bit of light and shade or the waves, as you say, and go banger, banger, banger. Maybe just a little bit of a quiet one so that the next banger that you play is even bigger. Like pink board. I don't right. know if you remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure I read that story there. I don't remember. That which takes DJ. courage. Yeah,
0: it could work really well or or not. But fortunately, I think it worked very well and was quite a popular choice. Mm. What what I mean. would you say is uh, the most exciting moment you've had DJing? What's a, a real highlight? And you think, well, I can tick that off the list.
1: The definitely playing before Kylie, um, and again playing with Kitty Glitter when we played uh For share at Mardi Gras um, and then the first gig I did back after lockdown at Easter time we did this party at the Burdekin and it's a smaller room downstairs holds maybe under two hundred people or so it was the first time we were allowed to dance in a year and everyone was so happy and so friendly and so glad to be back on the dance floor. And I put a couple of old classics on and everyone singing along, hands in the air. And um, yeah, I had to try to not cry because I was so overwhelmed and it felt like our community is together and our people are reunited. And yeah, that really stuck with me. Do you get requests during a set? Does oh, that, it's, it Does that still happens All <laughs> the time. Right. All the Are time. Are you
0: able to accommodate that, or have you got a pre-planned um, schedule of music that you've got to get through?
1: I'm happy to play a request as long as it makes sense. Yeah. Um, if it fits in the vibe and I've got the song, I'll put it in. Um, I normally have a pool of songs to choose from rather than a pre-planned set. Um, so, yeah, if it slots in, but... There'll be people, say you're playing house music, someone will come up and ask for some old 80s R&B song, and which doesn't fit at all with the vibe. Yeah. And, yeah, it's kind of a disrespectful request. You
0: you have a, a perpetual smile, Dan Murphy. You seem to be a picture of serenity.
1: <laughs> Do you ever lose it? Yeah, sometimes at these requests.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I, when people are belligerent, I think this is a good thing about nightclubs. Um, that saying the customer is always right does not apply in a nightclub because they're yes, quite because often they're, drunk. Yes. So I've definitely told people off. Um, have I lost it, lost it? Oh, I don't think so. I, t- I think I'd keep it in and then bitch about it later. Later. Yeah. 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 So what
0: are the, the tools... Of your trade, um, I imagine. You know, twenty years ago, DJs would arrive with this huge case of, of music. Mm. Is it now that you just go in with a USB or an external hard drive? Yeah, I'm right, am I? It's that exactly that. that. That's yeah, right.
1: I carry around my headphones and a pile of USBs, and that's it now.
0: And the uh, the technology of the computers are all at the at the clubs or the the desk at which you're working.
1: Yeah, and the. Technology is such that if you have a USB, it will work in all the decks that are available in clubs at the moment. But some people will, some clubs will have ten-year-old decks, and other people will have the newest, latest decks. But they all just play music in the end of the day.
0: A few years ago, um, not that long ago, you put together uh, and mixed the soundtrack for the fireworks Mm. Sydney Harbour uh, New Year's Eve. Um, broadcast to more than a billion people. What are the considerations that you had to adhere to
1: in putting all that together? Because that's a, that's a huge task. Yeah, it was. Um, it was done for the city of Sydney and it was very much done by committee. There were a lot of people to answer to and a lot of people with different opinions, but they previously, the fireworks have always sounded like somebody just changing radio stations where you get a little bit of one song and a little bit of the other and they wanted it to be a coherent party set Um, and the 9 o'clock kids fireworks they wanted kind of top 40 current hits from the last year with um, a couple of little classics in there as well and then the midnight they wanted all Australian acts Um, and they gave me a graph or a timeline um, that showed how the music should peak and kind of go down and up um, as the time went on, because they would have a special moment of fireworks, say, at four minutes, and then they'd have a little lull at eight minutes, and then the Um, the bridge um, the bridge curtain oh I wish people could see what we're doing at the moment (laughs) we're doing bridge curtains (laughs)
0: ladies and gentlemen Um, yes the tinkles off the 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 sparkly tinkles off the bridge
1: yeah. yeah and that's a like real magical moment and that was set for I think about a minute before the end so every I had to keep timing things so they would fit Exactly. So exactly. you're not
0: working it live. That's all pre-recorded. Yeah, um, all pre-recorded. You press press play when the fireworks start and yeah, hope, it all, hope it all marries.
1: My job was complete in November, I think, October, November. And then the music is given to the fireworks and the lighting people. Oh, and and it's up they, to them
0: to marry it to the music. Yeah. School, yeah the soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Tell me yeah. about Ignite because there were some great evenings that uh, you produced where you had a, a symphony orchestra at the concert hall Um, playing uh, classic house and and dance music. Very exciting evenings. They were were great to attend. How did you get the
1: idea for that? The the proms on BBC Proms at Royal Albert Hall did an Ibiza prom, um, which was curated or hosted by Pete Tong, a DJ.
0: It was great because usually they do the music of Rodgers and Hammerstein or Gershwin or... Gilbert and Sullivan or something, 1812, yes, to yeah. it. Sure.
1: But they did this night, and I think... I did a bit of research at the time, and I think there had been some smaller concerts of orchestra and DJs mixed together. Um, but this one was just... I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. It was absolutely incredible. And you know those moments when you hear a song or see a movie or see a play or a musical and it just resonates with you that's what I got from this one yeah um oh my god I'm choking up the the first song was right here right now by Fatboy Slim and the whole orchestra came in with that incredible string section I started bawling and I was like what is this I've never seen anything like this before What's well, it's the power of
0: live music too oh. and you, you talk about your favourite sound uh, is an orchestra mm. um, but you marry an orchestra the, the, the classical musicians with, with the music that, that is your business mm-hmm. um, and it's really quite special
1: yeah and so they had these singers that were singing all the songs mm. um, and they were dancing the whole way through it um, and I just went oh my god we have to do that here how do we do this? And naively went, "Oh, I'll just book an orchestra. We'll put the songs together and do it." Um, so, did the um, the the scores already exist? No, they did. Didn't. You had to get those created. Right. Yeah, and I found this. Uh, I was pointed in the direction of this great orchestrator called Jessica Wells from Jigsaw Music. Um, she does a lot of movie scores and yeah I took her my music and um I just kept saying to her, I kept playing her music and going okay so this is a song and I want to use the whole orchestra and this is the next song and I want to use the whole orchestra and um we used the whole orchestra how many pieces the I think it was just under 50 yeah it was big
0: well, hopefully when we can, you know, all get together again on mm. an occasion like that, we will
1: see more Ignites because they are a, a brilliant evening, yeah. Yeah, I hope so. The, there are a few other versions doing the rounds now. Um, Defected do some, Ministry of Sound, Symphony as well. Um, so the, there's an appetite for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah people yeah. love it. There's
0: also an appetite for Mardi Gras. It's... Um, mm-hmm. It's happening at the end of the week. Um, It's been a big part of, well, both our lives, I suppose, for the, we won't say how
1: many years.
0: (laughs) Um, What does
1: does Mardi Gras mean to you? Mm. Well, it is the reason I moved to Sydney. I'd heard about it for so long. Um, I attended my first parade in the 90s and we bought milk crates. My boyfriend at the time bought milk crates for $10 each and balanced on two stacked on top of each was other. Was somebody selling
0: them on the, on the street? Yeah. Oh, that's a way to make some money. Yeah.
1: yeah. Off the back of this ute, they had this massive pile. Everyone was buying them as well. Huh. And I watched that parade and I didn't even know there was a party after the parade, but people around us were saying, Oh, are you going to the parade, uh, the party afterwards? I was like, Oh no, should we? I said, Oh, it sold out weeks ago. <laughs> you you can't won't get a now. ticket. Um, So, yeah, I just remember feeling like, um, it was the first time I'd seen that much gayness en masse and all these different types of people. Um, and I I was like, oh, I want to be a part of that. But it wasn't until I went to the party and walked in this massive room playing great music. I can't remember who the DJ was. Mm -hmm. Um... And I was sober that night. I wanted to go sober. And I just remember walking in and thinking, into the RHI and thinking, oh my God, I finally found somewhere I belong. The tribe. Yeah. And it just, it's this beacon, to me, this beacon of light that attracts our entire community. Um, And everyone of any background, shape, size, whatever, is in that big melting pot together.
0: And all of your senses are engaged.
1: Yes, yes. Yeah. There's,
0: there's such things to look at, such awesome things to hear, mm-hmm. um, touch, taste occasionally. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> 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 what's, the, what's the other one? Smell. Oh smell? yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's yes, a, a smell. Yes. Yes. But um, yeah, yeah. I know, I know that first time that you walk in. Well, actually, every time you walk in, just being hit with that wall of energy mm. in those, in those rooms is uh, quite amazing. Yeah. So what are you doing um, for
1: Mardi Gras this year? This year, I'm putting on a couple of my own parties. Uh, we're doing... I don't know if you want me to plug them, but Friday night at... Um... No, please do. Please do. <laughs> Friday night at the Beresford, we're doing camp, um, which is all sing-along gay music, current music and past hits and just fun, fun, fun. Camp's fun. Yeah. All that. And... Saturday because there's no Mardi Gras party we're doing an I Remember House that day Um, that's the first time doing I don't normally do a party on the weekend because I don't want to compete with Mardi Gras and I'm either DJing at it or want to go to it and dance well yes that that year you arrived probably the early 2000s
0: there was the Mardi Gras party for, for since its inception, but mm-hmm. then around that time all these splinter parties started happening over that week didn't they more mm-hmm. more boutique parties which um, pe- a lot of attracted a lot of attention from uh, from punters yeah um, and that's been ever so much since since then um, a plethora of parties as well as the Mardi gras parties that yeah. uh, whatever cooked your goose there was something to appeal to all tastes.
1: Yeah, and I think the uh, the one that was coming up at that time was a party called Toy Box. Oh, Toy
0: of, Box at, at Luna Park. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it
1: took over where Frisky left off.
0: Frisky, Apollo. Um,
1: yeah. What was the one at that, M- Metro? That, oh, that, that was fr- Frisky. Frisky, right. And that turned into Toy Box, and now it's Apollo. Um, but that got a lot of heat. Toy Box got a lot of heat because it would always sell out but the main Mardi Gras party wouldn't, so mm. people were upset at Toy Box. Mm. Um, because, the, yes, because that weekend is about Mardi Gras, mm, really, yeah. Yeah, yeah but uh, I just remember that the party tickets were so expensive for Mardi Gras, and the in the 90s, everything was selling out easily, and then it started not selling out, and I don't think they marketed themselves well enough to sell out the party. Yeah. So and the cost yeah.
0: can be prohibitive, but with you look at, you know, it's 10 hours mm-hmm. or something of of activity if you would like it. Um it's uh, four rooms that are happening around the um around the uh the showgrounds there. Um it costs a lot of money to put mm-hmm. on a party like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the in the 90s all the acts were surprises as well and mm-hmm. in the 2000s they had to start saying who the acts were because... As a draw card. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So camp on Friday. And Mm -hmm. what else? I remember House Saturday. And then the Sunday, DJing at Laneway, the finale party down at um, home. And I think that's it. Am I missing one?
0: You'll have to get a six-pack of Red Bulls. I know.
1: (laughs) There'll be (laughs) Red Bulls all night. Um... IRH is happening where? Uh, that's down at Bar Mille which is the old Bar One Hundred in, right. in
0: um, the Rocks. Are people like still yeah. likely to be able to get tickets?
1: No, that's all out straight away. Straight away. Right, okay. Yeah, that's oh, right. Hopefully, we can do some on the door. Just right. waiting to see what the restrictions are. Yeah,
0: sure. Well, yeah. that's right. It's a, it's a week-to-week um, evolution, isn't it? Now? Yeah, so see what we can and can't. Dan Murphy this has been delightful Um, thank you for sharing your story um, with stages in this episode happy Mardi Gras
1: happy Mardi Gras to you as well thank you so much I've had so much fun so has my growly tummy (laughs) (laughs) and
0: um, hopefully see you on a dance floor soon I
1: hope so thank you
0: thanks to DJ Dan Murphy for the insight into the art of the DJ and his fascinating journey happy Mardi Gras Dan and thank you for the music Thanks, too, to you for making us a part of your podcast listening. Please join me in the next episode when my guest will be the brilliant Cindy Pastel. As a performer of exquisite eccentricity and enormous heart, Cindy's story is fascinating. It has even inspired a film we all know. But more of that and a joyous conversation when you join us next time on Stages. I'm Peter Ayers. Keep well, stay safe, and I'll catch you then.